There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. In Numbers chapter 33, verse 4, it says, For the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had killed among them. Also, on their gods, the Lord had executed judgments. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, And Lord, I just pray right now as we open up your word, um, God, that this would just be a moment where we don't allow ourselves to be uh, distracted with the thoughts of, what's happened before this time and and what we are looking forward to doing after. But right here at this moment, we just would enjoy being in your presence. Father, experiencing you by your spirit through your word. In your son's name, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So as I said, we were going through quite a bit. We went through um, Aaron with his rod and laying it down before Pharaoh, it turning into a serpent. And then as uh, the Pharaoh called these other magicians and, and um, these wise men before them, and they were able to duplicate. We kind of saw this pattern showing up of that up until like the third plague is that God would perform a sign, a judgment through a plague, and then these magicians would actually copy it. And we saw that going up into uh, plague three. And so we actually made our way all the way through plague seven. So we saw, uh, again, Aaron's rod uh, turning into a serpent. We saw the Nile turn to blood, uh, God bringing up the frogs, the lice, which the magicians couldn't copy, um, then the flies, the death of the livestock, and the boils, hail, and lightning. And now that brings us uh, to where we're going to be looking at today. And so when we looked through that section again, and, and as we started in numbers, so again, all of those verses wanting to be a, a lens is what we looked at is that all of these signs, all of these plagues, is that it is God making it clear again in later in Exodus and then again in Numbers, is that God is pronouncing judgment on these spiritual forces that dare to call themselves God. That God has made it clear he doesn't share his glory with another. And so that there are these forces out there that have declared themselves to be what only he is. And he is pronouncing judgment on them. And then we also saw that Pharaoh himself considers himself to be a very incarnation of the god Horus. And that one of his jobs as Pharaoh, one of his jobs he's supposed to be as a, as a supposed divine entity is that Pharaoh was supposed to be able to basically maintain order in Egypt. That his job was to make the place habitable so that the other gods were happy. He was supposed to maintain that. And as Yahweh is pronouncing plague after plague and just smashing that, is that basically everything is in chaos. 
There is no order. And Pharaoh has no power against God. And that's what's been laid out here. And that we, again, we see that in Exodus chapter 12, which we're going to be in next week, is that God makes it clear what all of this is about. What are the 10 plagues? What are these crazy signs we're looking at? And again, God says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And so we have this question, okay, well, who is he talking about? Who are these, these gods? Is it, just this, uh, you know, is it just this false worship? That's one aspect of it, that many of these plagues prevented the priests of Egypt from performing their duties, such as the lice and the boils. They couldn't go and appease their gods. But again, it got the people realizing that, wait, our gods who we're trusting in, they're not able to stand against Yahweh, and our priests, they're not able to, our religious practice isn't appeasing these gods. This whole thing's not working. But what God is pronouncing judgment on is back in Genesis 11, we looked at the Tower of Babel. And again, it was the Tower of Babel where, where God dispersed the people. But Deuteronomy tells us that that moment, again, we kinda, you can kind of graze over it. Tower of Babel, we know about the language. But again, the greatest commentary on Scripture is Scripture. The Tower of Babel explain, is explained to us in Deuteronomy 32 when it says, when the Most High divided their inheritance of the nation. Okay, he's talking about the Tower of Babel. When he separated the sons of Adam. Okay, this is everyone went their own way. He set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of God. Now again, it is the, the, the children of the God who prevails is the word there. And, it's, and again, this takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 when we read about these sons of God, these, these angels who rebelled against God. And they had sex with women and they, they created the, uh, we, we saw the Nephilim and we saw these giants, these, these warriors of old. And that God is saying, just as he pronounced judgment as in the days of Noah, and brought a flood. Then at the Tower of Babel, he brings down judgment and separates the people. Here is yet another moment where men in complete disobedience declare themselves to try and attain God's throne, and he is pronouncing judgment. And that's where we get now when we look, as we've looked through the plagues, Exodus chapter 10, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt, and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now again, guys, I just want to make this clear, is not many times in Scripture, and it's fair to say, you might ask yourself, okay, God, why? Why did you do this? And yet, that should never happen here in Exodus. Because we've been going through and God's been making it very clear, okay, why the plagues? What is it all about? And again, what's fun is we could go through and, and, and though it's fun to sometimes look at what specific gods God may be pronouncing judgment against and some of them are very clear, some are debated. But none of that is as important as understanding, okay, he is systematically attacking not only their belief, but he is going after these false deities who want to ascend to his throne and dare to take his glory. In fact, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, we're told that, again, why all of this is happening. God said, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel among them. Last week, in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, 
God said, but indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people, and that you will not let them go. So here it is in chapter 10, and I know we've been moving through the plagues. Maybe it was kind of heavy last week, really looking at what it is God was doing through these plagues. But throughout this moment, God has been making it very clear why he is sending these plagues. It is so that the people of Egypt, including his children, would know there is only one God. He is on the throne. He is in charge. And he has no problem that when someone wants to challenge him, look him right in the face and go, bring it on. God is not afraid to be challenged. And I want you guys to know that in your own life because you'll have moments where you're going to question things. You're going to find things difficult. You might have Job moments where you're going, okay, God, I want to have to. And God is not afraid to show up and go, then let's have this conversation out. One of the biggest things the enemy starts to do is when you start to feel kind of that, that, that maybe frustration, it somehow tells you that what you need to do is shut it down, bottle up, and just hide it away because God's going to be super mad at you if you even question. And God goes, I have never had a problem with people questioning. I do not have a problem. God, God is not some puny God who somehow gets offended by your questions. 2 Peter 3 tells us that God says, look, I am so patient with people, I am willing to be misunderstood. It says that, the, that God is not slow concerning his promises, as others count slowness, but is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is willing to say, I am okay with people misunderstanding if by my patience more come to understand exactly who I am and what I've done for them. And right now we're being told exactly what this is about. And as we look at Pharaoh, and, and there's again that questioning of, okay, but wait, the hardening. Again, I said we might not start to, okay, the plagues, but why the hardening? It says here that God hardened his heart. Now, we've kind of talked about this before, but again, the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. The sun, all it did is reveal the qualities of the substance. The sun was the same. It wasn't changing. But in the presence Butter melts, but clay gets hardened. Maybe, maybe you guys, it's a little bit easier this way. Is again, I, we've used this analogy. You're walking through your backyard. Maybe you have an animal. Maybe you're out in the park, and you step down. You feel that, that awkward squish, and then that smell just shoots up into your nose, and you know, I just stepped in some dookie. And yeah, it's right there, and you knew it. Now, did your foot stepping on it make that smell? No. All it did is the pressure revealed the quality and substance of that mess. Now, differently is if you guys have ever uh, done the flower pressing, you put them you know, into a flower press or something, or if you guys go do some gardening and you guys are kind of smashing these things around, is that when these things face pressure or an intense circumstance, that these flowers, they almost have a, a, a nice aroma. My daughter, I can always tell when she's been outside and messing with the society garlic out there. It's the long stem one that has the purple flowers. It looks pretty. But if she's been out there ripping the heads off, I know because I can walk out into the backyard and, oh, there's a smell. And it's just all over. It smells like garlic. She didn't make that thing smell like garlic. She just revealed its quality. That's what God did with Pharaoh. The same son. He was consistent. All God did is through circumstances and his direct will is he is revealing the substance of Pharaoh's character and he'll do the same thing to us. The question is, is when we face the heat and pressure, what comes out of us? 
What's the aroma that is released from us when we go through those things? Continue on, it says, So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me and let my people go, that they may serve, or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. They shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail, and they shall eat every tree which grows up for for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither you, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve their God, the Lord their God. Do you not know yet? Uh, do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God, who are the ones that are going. He asked the question. Moses says, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he, meaning Pharaoh, said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, and they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up up over all the land of Egypt and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Uh, Previously, there had never been such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them. For they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened. And they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or the plants of the field throughout the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. So this can be a moment going, okay, so, so, so Pharaoh's not all bad. I mean, he says he sinned. Guys, there's a huge difference between acknowledging your sin and turning from it. There's a huge difference between being in a place of recognition as a sinner and coming to the Lord in repentance. Repentance is, it literally just means to change your mind about the situation. It's a change of mind, change of heart. To simply say, I've done something wrong, okay, cool. Even the demons know that there's a God and they shudder. God says, it's not just this head game. It's, it's a place of going, I've done something wrong and, and I'm, I'm in a place of wrong and, and I'm not God and, and you're God. I've been trusting in my ways and I need to trust in you. That's Repentance. It's not even feeling bad that you did something. Of course you might feel bad that you did something. That's just acknowledging, again, that you've done something wrong. God says that it's, it's, not, it's not just coming and going, yeah, I've done something wrong, but saying, I've done something wrong, and I need you, God, to do something about it, because I can't. That's what repentance does. So unfortunately, years ago, this nation faced a very, very act of terror. 
You guys, it's crazy for me to think sometimes that I remember waking up my junior morning, hearing my mom scream as, as planes were being driven into these buildings. And as we're watching the World Trade Center, and we're watching this, and, and the nation had a moment on that September 11th, and they had a moment of going, as a nation, we're, we, we've done something wrong. There was an acknowledgement. There was a recognition. Unfortunately, there was never a repentance. There was never coming to a place of saying, we've messed up, we've done something wrong, and Lord, we need you to fix this. See, there's a huge difference between recognition and repentance, and we see that here with Pharaoh. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust on all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go. Again, the substance of his heart. He might have given the lip service. Oh, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. God takes away the locust. Oh, good, I'm good. Again, that, that, that edge. Oh, God, uh, if, if you'll just save me from this situation, I'm drowning here. Oh, never mind, God, the, the boat just came by. I'm good, thanks. That's what Pharaoh's character is being revealed here. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may be even felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone arise from his place for three days. Guys, it's so dark, it's so thick that they're, not even, they're just like laying in bed. When is this gonna pass? I can't see anything. If you guys have ever gone down into those cool caverns when they do that, they've got the lights on and they go super deep. Like, all right, we're gonna turn off the lights and it's so dark you can't see your hand in front of yourself. If you haven't done it, it's fun. Someone always ruins it now with phones. You're like, put the phone away. But it's so dark that it's like you cannot see the hand in front of your face. It's like, it's a darkness, but this is something so much more than that because it's just, it's oppressive. They don't even want to move, it's so dark. It, it would almost be like, go back to when you were little, and maybe it's not so long ago, when all the lights were out and you thought you heard something in the house and you're taking the steps on the hall, and then you just have that moment where you realize how dark it is, and you're just like stuck, you're like, what is that? And I need to get back to bed, but I can't move. I, I gotta move, but I can't move. That's what they're going through. They're not even moving. It says, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Now, through this, if you guys remember, through the last two chapters we looked at to this morning, Pharaoh has made four compromises. If you remember, he, he said, Okay, uh, you guys can, can worship your God, uh, but don't leave the land. You guys have to do it here in Egypt. And they go, We can't do it here in Egypt. We're going to slaughter cows. You guys think cows are gods. We start slaughtering it. People are going to want to kill us. And he says, okay, okay. You guys can go into the wilderness, but not the three days. You can only go a little bit. No, God was pretty clear. He wants us to go three days into the wilderness. It's about obedience, not partial obedience. We got to do this. Fine, you guys can't go. Then we get down to, you know, plague seven. He's like, okay, okay, okay. You guys can go, but who's going? Well, we're all going. Okay, you can go, but not your kids. Your kids can't go. That's not what God says. And so then what does he do here now? Okay, fine. You, your kids, you guys can go to the list, but you have to leave all your livestock here. And go, what are we going to sacrifice out there? 
And though in this narrative we can see that, but what you see here is, again, this consistency of the enemy who will come to you with compromise. God calls you to a place of obedience, and the enemy will go, okay, be a Christian, but don't go way out there. Don't, don't be one of those crazies who's like way out there. I mean, you can, you can be obedient, but don't have to like go all the way. Okay, okay, you can be obedient, but you know, don't get silly. Don't, don't like bring your family along. Just, just, just you. you know, be a Christian, but don't bother any of your family. Someday when you guys are parents, okay, you can be a Christian, but don't force that on your kids. That's so oppressive. Fine, okay, be a good parent. Bring your kids. But, you know, separate work and church. That's, that's really how it should be. Have your home life, but then have your work life. These are the same compromises. It's the same thing that the enemy has been using from the very beginning, and we're seeing here through Pharaoh. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. Even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself, and see my face no more. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, You have spoken well. I will never see your face again. And with that we come to chapter 11. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on, Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. He, when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor sight favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Now this word great, this word great here, it, it literally is the word heavy. Now I don't mean like me heavy. I'm not talking about, he wasn't like, whoa, he's been eating some since he got back into Egypt. It's not that heavy. It's more like the, dude, that's heavy. That's the context of the word great here. It's, it's like a, whoa, that's what they saw when they saw Moses. He's like, he's a great dude, but it's, it's that word, it's the word that means that's just, that's heavy. He had a presence that just made people go, whoa. And it was the Egyptians, Pharaoh's servants, it was the Israelites, is that when Moses showed up, people were like, whoa, Moses is on the scene. So then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servants who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt. Such was not like it before, nor shall be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does not that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians. And Israel, let me read that again. Know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. Then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let
let the children of Israel go out of this land. Again, guys, we've now moved through all of these signs and these plagues. All of it, God has described to us and why. From, from, from the snakes to this death of the f- firstborn, they are declarations of God. Elohim, the I am, Yahweh, that he alone is the God worthy of worship as our creator, sustainer, and savior. And it is he alone, not Pharaoh, who brings everything from chaos to order. Guys, that is Genesis chapter one. That he is the God who brought everything from chaos and established order. And in by him, all things consist. Again, now throughout all of human existence, back from that Genesis account to this very day, there has been a spiritual rebellion that is intermingled with human rebellion. And the truth is, is that it is a rebellion against God by man and demonic forces. And we're told that because Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 reminds us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Again, these spiritual forces, like that dragon, that tannin of old, that serpent Nahash in the garden, that fallen Bene Ha Elohim, Lucifer the Shining One, that we're told in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, he fell because of his desire to sit on the throne of God. It says, oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. And the same rebellion, again, that we see that happened so many thousands of years ago that has been from the beginning of human existence, intermingled with our choice to want to be autonomous and say, no, I want to define what's right and wrong. It's the same thing we see that Paul speaks to us about in Romans chapter 1, where it says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wicked, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. I always love that part. How intense this gets, and we're like, oh yeah, those evil, disgusting, awful. They disobey their parents. What now? Oh wait, what, what? Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Guys, let's just stop for a moment. And I know we've gone through a lot. And I know I've even just read through a lot of scripture today. But just right now in in your own little moment, think back over these last several months. And would you not agree that as we've read through these 10 plagues and God systematically pronouncing judgment on people's false beliefs and elevating these false gods that we could look over these last several months and go, man, it looks a whole lot like Yahweh is pronouncing judgment on our American gods. The gods of money as we had put so much value in that, and he goes, well, I can, I can destroy, I can take out your entire economy. Is that what you trust in? Fitness, sports. I mean, think about your own personal lives right now, just your own lives, about the things that, that seem to have just been completely removed from us or the power of them. Money, fitness, sports, entertainment, government. Are we more beholden to a document, though I believe inspired by God, by, it's inspired by men of God than the actual word of God. I love the Constitution. It is not the Bible. Maybe it's the man who we call commander-in-chief. Maybe it's church tradition and the conveniences that we enjoy of what Sunday's supposed to be. What have we allowed to take that spot of one and only God who sits on the throne? Where we began to worship the things that he created for us to enjoy to be used by him for us and we began serving the created things rather than the creator. I know I did that many times. I've, I've done that. I can think of one very specific moment in my life. There was a time feels like several years ago, where, where God was calling me into ministry. I had shortly, or previously before that, began my nursing career. And I'll just tell you guys, this is a career. Nursing's a way to go. Good money there. I had health insurance. I had my own home. I was taking care. And God was, God was had, had brought people into my life who were encouraging me. I think you're supposed to be going into ministry. And I, I can tell you, I don't, I don't remember saying that loud, but it was in my heart of hearts. And, Nope, not going to do it. There's, Lord, if I go into ministry, finances aren't secure, you can't trust in that stuff. And, and I, even, I even try to go, really, you know, I, I got to provide for my wife. We need good insurance, good health insurance. God, I'm not going into ministry because if I go into ministry, then I won't have these things. And I can tell you guys from within the heart of my hearts, within about a week of me making that declaration to God, he went, fine, 
and started removing one thing after insurance started rejecting all of the claims that we needed for my wife. At one after another, watching God go, you're going to trust in that job and the things I gave you instead of what I'm telling you? What happens when I start to remove those things and take them away? He is a God who will do that. When we decide to elevate things, and that's what I'm saying, look over these last few months, and when we begin to elevate things to a place that only he belongs, he has no problem, as in he did in the days of this exodus, to say, I will pronounce judgment on those because there is also a spiritual battle going on with entities who want you to worship those things instead of the one who created all things. And it makes sense because in our heart of hearts, guys, it's, we, it becomes so easy to look at Pharaoh in these moments. How could Pharaoh do that? Guys, we do it every day. We act as Pharaoh every single day. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Again, the question is, think in our lives, when when circumstances bring the heat and bring the pressure, what comes out of us? Do we fall to our knees and go, I can't do this? God, who is the only God on the throne, I need you. You've got to step in here. Or do we find ourselves going, why would you let this happen? Look at all this mess going on. God, how could you let bad things happen? I mean, if I was God, oh wait, you mean if you were on the throne of the Most High, if you sat on the seat of congregation, See, there was one who thought just like that and one in that position. And that is what it means that our heart is desperately wicked. Our hearts, our human flesh, it says, I hate God, I love darkness, and I want his throne. And God will go completely out of his way to make sure you understand there is only one God seated on the throne. He is not afraid of your challenge, but he will meet you there. So the question is, is that when the heat comes, when the pressure comes, what does it reveal? And will you harden your heart as Pharaoh did? Or will you stop for just a moment? And when I say that God will meet you there, what I mean by that is to understand what God has made so amazingly clear to us that though we stand against him in our heart of weakness, his opposition, he tells us this also in the book of Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation that God meets you to say, there is only one God on the throne and I loved you so much that I gave my life for you. That I have defeated those forces of money, of self-worship, of, of, of greed. And he says, I have defeated all of that by my outstretched arm and the power of my mighty hand. And he did it all to tell you how much he loves you. And when we realize how in opposition we stood before him, 
the amount of his love, the gap that he covered, that not because you had to earn it by being a good person, but he said, even when you would look at me and say, I want your throne, he comes down to us and says, you can't have it, but you can be right here with me. That we, like those people at the Tower of Babel, want to, by our own hands, ascend to the throne and by our own work, and he won't let that happen. But by his amazing love, Scripture makes it clear that he elevates us to make us co-heirs with Christ. To call you friend and family. That is what this has been all about. To understand that there is only one God. And he loves you more than anything. And that as we dare to put other things, including ourselves, on his throne, he won't let that happen. He is not afraid, though, of you, your challenge and will meet you right there, all so that he can declare to you how much he loves you. Let that be what motivates every day of your life for the rest of your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together. And God, I just pray that again, as we, we look back over this season we've been going through and the season ahead, that God, that we would know no matter what, you are on your throne. You are God and God alone worthy of all of our worship because of your amazing love for us. So Father, I just pray right now that as we look through these plagues, these just miraculous outpouring of your power and declaration that you are a God who fights for your people, that your name would be known throughout all the world and that we would be known as your children whom you love. So Father, again, I just pray that this would be something that stays with us, motivates every moment of our life. Thank you again, Father, for who you are and what you've done for us. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in the weight of glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.